Hello all my friends and listeners, this is Coffee Chug Bucks and I'm here with another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast and in this episode I am so excited, like I literally have goosebumps talking about this, I got a chance to speak with Alan Stein Jr. He is someone who I have followed for years as a youth basketball coach, as someone just looking to get better in the game of life in terms of how to be a better servant leader, how to improve communication with players, how to be a better father, and just all around better educator. So he has a vast knowledge and an amazing history of working with players in basketball at elite levels from high school all the way through to the NBA. But now as he has ventured into the bigger picture of the business corporate world, how do we take these lessons that he's learned working with these talented players, coaches, and systems and apply it across the board? So in this episode, we get to dive deep on some really, really powerful topics and I feel so fortunate that he took some time to truly open up. And I hope you stick around to the end of this podcast because he shares some pretty powerful, truthful, honest moments moments in his learning journey that we can all take root in. So I hope you take time to enjoy this episode. I hope you share this one out. Guys, I'm telling you, the guests just keep getting better and better and better on this podcast. And it's because of you, the listeners. It's because of the interaction. And it's because of the community. So I look forward to hearing your thoughts, I look forward to your ideas, and I look forward to knowing how these words and these wisdoms impact your life. Take care and enjoy. Woke up at 6 o'clock in the morning, chilling with coffee mugs, me and coffee chugs. Talking education all across the nation, pushing boundaries, thinking innovation. Aaron Mauer, outside the box thinker, here to teach each and every teacher how to tinker. Living on the edge of chaos, born insane. Listening to coffee chugs like Kathy for the boring. One of the top teachers in Iowa, word is born. Here to show the world that there's more here than corn. Chaos. Hey everyone, how you doing? This is Aaron Maurer here on another episode of Living on the Edge of Chaos podcast. And I am here with someone who I have followed for so many years who has had a great impact on me, not just as an educator, but also as a, a youth coach in, in basketball and, and helping me even as a parent and a father and everything else. And so um, I'm truly honored to be able to have a conversation um, with our guest today Um I'm not going to lie, I almost have like a little fanboy thing because I was like, this is, I actually get to talk to the man who I've been following, so I'm so excited. Um, so, Alan, I'm going to jump right in and just, for those who don't know who you are um, and, and what you do, why don't you explain to everybody listening in who you are and uh, what you do? Sure, and, and please know the excitement is very mutual. I've, I've been looking forward to this conversation and uh, really appreciate your kind words and support, and yeah, we're, we're going to have a good time. Uh, the easiest way to describe me is uh, I'm a performance coach, and I have been my entire life. Uh, I spent most of my career uh, in the, the the basketball realm and was helping players improve their athleticism, their mind-body connection, uh, their movement efficiency, trying to help them bulletproof their bodies against injury. And uh, I did that by working directly with players and teams, uh, but also by teaching coaches how to train their players the right way so that they could do the same things with their teams. And I did that for almost 20 years and, and specialized mostly at the youth and high school level, uh, which I really enjoyed. Uh, and then a couple of years ago, I was just ready for a new challenge and, and something different to tackle and decided to take everything that I had learned from the game. Um, I, I had an opportunity to be around and learn from and work with 
the best players in the world and, and was mentored by some amazing coaches and took everything that I learned from them. And I've now pivoted that into a career uh, of professional speaking and writing and, and work. I mean, I work with, with schools and organizations, but I work in the, in the corporate field and, and really translate all of those lessons and mindsets and rituals and routines that I'd learned and show people how to apply those uh, to their daily life. So basketball has been a pillar of, of my life since I was five or six years old uh, and is still an important part uh, of who I am and what I do. Uh, but most of my work now is no longer on the court. It's in classrooms and it's in boardrooms and it's on stages. And I still consider myself a performance coach. But instead of teaching people how to run faster and jump higher, I teach them how to become the best versions of themselves so that they can add value to their team or organization. Yeah, I love that. And I know that you just came out with um, a new book, Raise Your Game, which I, as I was reading and I was going through and typing up all my notes into my, my Evernote account when I read books like this uh, that are so phenomenal, I was like, geez, I pretty much just like typed up 80% of this book because there's just so many um, valuable ideas and thoughts. And what I really liked about your book in particular was you've taken these ideas and concepts that have been around for a long time and, and you've you've communicating them in ways that really kind of challenge the, the reader's thinking in, in, in new ways. Um, and so we'll make sure we get a link to the show notes for your book because it's absolutely phenomenal. Um, even if you love basketball, it's even greater. But even if not, like you said, is you're trying to move in that being that lifelong learner, um, trying to move these concepts out to just what it means to be a good human and, and to be, be successful in life. Um, and one of those stories in there, and I know you shared this story probably a million times in, in all your life, is that I that I wanted to dive into because I think it's important. Is um, there's a part in, in the book in which you talk about Kobe and your opportunity to watch him work out early in the morning with one of the camps that you were a part of. So I was wondering if you could maybe kind of tell that story. I know you've told it a million times, but really from the angle of of that story, what I took out of it was the importance um, for anyone who's looking to be successful in their career or even for youth that's trying to figure out life of, of how important it is from some of these concepts that you learned from, from Kobe Bryant in, in one of these early morning workout sessions. Be happy to, and I'm happy to make it a million and one because uh, I, this is the flagship story I use to open up almost every talk that I give. I'd say, I mean, a hundred percent of the talks that I give to a new audience, and the only time when I don't tell it is when I go back to a repeat company or a repeat group. Um, but it's 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 that profound. It was that profound uh, to me at the time, and uh, continuing to pull the lessons from that not only to share with others, but for myself, uh, is still a big part of, of my life. And uh, this was back in 2007. I uh, can't believe it's been over a decade already. Uh, Nike was starting up something they were calling the Summer Skills Academies, and they wanted to build them around uh, their premier players. And they wanted their premier players to play a role in teaching the fundamentals to the best high school and college players uh, from around the country. So their very first event was the Kobe Bryant Nike Skills Academy. Uh, and I was very fortunate to get the call to be the performance coach there. Uh, so they flew me out to Los Angeles to work this three-day mini camp with Kobe. And if any of your listeners don't follow basketball very closely, that's okay. Let me paint the picture. <laughs> it, in 2007, Kobe was the best player in the game, and that's it's not important that you like basketball or watch basketball or even know who Kobe is, but it's important that you know that he was the best player in the game at 2007. Uh, you know, Michael Jordan, who almost everyone has heard of, had already retired a couple times at that point, and LeBron James, who everyone also has heard of, uh, I mean, he was amazing, but he was still climbing that mountain. Uh, he hadn't quite reached the, the pinnacle of, of where he was going to be. So Kobe was that dude, and as I've already mentioned, 
I've spent my entire life in a basketball bubble. Uh, and, and now that I had such a high affinity for training, you know, I had heard this urban legend of how insanely intense Kobe's individual workouts were. And since I was on camp staff, I figured this was my shot and this was my chance to watch one. So uh, as soon as I arrived uh, and had a chance to meet him, I, I asked him if I could watch one of his workouts. And he was incredibly gracious and, and said, sure, man, I'm going tomorrow at four. And I got a little bit confused because I had just got done looking at the camp schedule, which said the very first workout of the camp with the players was the next day at 3.30. And Kobe quickly noticed the confused look on my face, and he clarified that with a wink and, and said, yeah, that's 4 a.m. Well, <laughs> as, your, as your listeners know, there's not a legitimate excuse in the world on why you can't be somewhere at 4 in the morning, at least not an excuse someone like Kobe Bryant's going to accept. So I basically committed myself to being there, and, and I decided that if I was going to be there anyway, I might as well try and impress Kobe. Uh, I might as well show him how serious – of a trainer I was. So I came up with a plan to beat him to the gym and I set my alarm for 3 a.m. and the alarm goes off and, and I jump up quickly and get myself together and I hop in a taxi and I head off to the gym. And I get out of the taxi. I'm, I'm guessing it's 3.30 in the morning. So obviously it's pitch black outside. Uh, and from the parking lot, I can see that the gym lights already on. And I can even hear a ball bouncing and I can hear sneakers squeaking. Uh, I walk in the side door Kobe's already in a full sweat. He was going through an intense warm-up with his trainer before his scheduled workout started at four. Now, out of professional courtesy, I, I didn't want to be an interruption or a distraction, so I didn't say anything to anyone. I just sat down in the corner to watch. And for the first 45 minutes, I was actually shocked. For the first 45 minutes, I watched the best player in the game of basketball do the most basic footwork and offensive moves. Uh, he was doing stuff that I had taught to middle school age players. Now, keep in mind, this is the best player in the world. This is Kobe Bryant. So he was doing everything at an unparalleled level of effort and an unparalleled level of focus. And he was doing everything with surgical precision. But the actual stuff he was doing was incredibly basic. Now, his whole workout lasted a couple hours. And, and when it was over, again, I didn't say anything. I just quietly left. But my curiosity got the best of me. I, I had to know. So later that day at camp, I went up to him and asked and said, Kobe, I don't understand. You're the best player in the world. Why are you doing such basic drills? And again, he was incredibly gracious and he smiled. But he said with all seriousness, why do you think I'm the best player in the world? Because I never get bored with the basics. I never get bored with the basics. You know, I have told that story a million times. And even if this was a million and one, the hairs on my neck are still standing up and I've got goosebumps uh, because of, of how profound that statement was at the time to me in my life. And it, it let me know a couple things. One, that the basics work. They always have and they always will. Um, unfortunately, we live in a society that that almost encourages us to skip steps and to circumvent the process and and to chase what's hot and flashy instead of what's basic. Uh, but that's a that's a pitfall. The basics work. They always have and they always will. And and the other thing that, that, that it teaches me is just because something is basic, it doesn't mean that it's easy. Those are not synonyms. Yet most people treat them like they are synonyms. Uh, what it takes to be successful in life, what it takes to be a good teacher, what it takes to be good on the basketball court. Those things are very, very basic in principle. Uh, but as any teacher or coach or player will tell you, those things are incredibly challenging to do consistently. And, and for me, I've tried to live my life 
focused on the basics and know firsthand how hard it is, how difficult it is, and how challenging it is to live those every single day with consistency. But that's really the, in my opinion, it's the key to not only success and significance, but it's the key to happiness and fulfillment as well. Yeah, I love that. And as, as you're talking, there's so many ideas that, that pop in my head. And one of the things is, um, it reminds me of a, a story of you, actually, that, that the local coach, coaches here, where I live here in, in the Quad Cities, has about you that I think um, permeates exactly what it is you're saying when you're talking about you, you try to live that as well. And I know that the, you were here in Iowa, I don't, I don't know the year, it was, it was several years ago, um, for a clinic um, for, for several basketball coaches. And I know um, you came on to the court and for whatever reason, the things that you needed um, weren't available. The basketballs weren't around and, and this and that. And um, people talk to this day about this, how like you didn't even like skip a beat. You kept it to the basics and you just adjusted on the fly and did what was needed to put on an amazing um, clinic and and, and session within this, 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 this camp that you were leading. And I think about that. I think about the story you just shared with Kobe. And I think about anybody listening in of, you know, the basics aren't necessarily simple, but they're the, the essential building blocks to anything. And we don't always need these fancy things, the latest gadgets, you know, whatever it might be. It just comes down to that hard work, that, that inner drive, and, and making the best of the situation. And so um, while you're talking, it's, it's funny because I, I can't tell you how many times that story of you has come up over the last five to seven years when, you know, we get together as coaches and talk basketball and life and this and that. Um, and so I know that you are also a, a living, breathing testament to this same type of mindset mindset. Um, and it gets me thinking too about how do we then help people understand kind of those, you talk about in your book, the unseen hours, right? This thing that Kobe Bryant's doing where he's going through this workout. And I know he talks about like the blackout or, or you working through these small details to be the best version of yourself. When, when those things aren't celebrated, we talk about the, the, the societal pressures work against that. You know, we, we praise, we look at youth sports, we praise kids for points. We praise them for their, for being fancy and individual. Um, the same things kind of happen in business sometimes, but how do we help people stay the course with the growth mindset of, of, of teamwork and collaboration and, and sticking to the basics when we know that that's not going to get you on the highlight real um, or get you the most likes on, on on Twitter or social media. Well, before we unpack that, and I most certainly want to, I, I just want to touch on what you'd said uh, about that clinic because it's funny. I, I vividly remember it and it's been a long time now, <laughs> yet I haven't thought once about it until you just brought it up. Mm. And uh, first and foremost, I've probably done I don't know, 10 to 15 events in Iowa, ranging everything from speaking at the state clinic uh, to working uh, Snow Valley basketball camp yes, to yep. doing some other stuff and and absolutely think the world of of the coaches and the players and everyone that I've ever met in Iowa. That is that is one of my favorite places uh, uh, to visit and, and to do work with. And uh, it was neat because that clinic that you're referring to is one of the most well-run and, and and most efficient events I've ever been a part of because I've done it a few years. And there was just a snag that day. I, I believe that there was a mix-up that they didn't think I needed any basketballs because I was a performance coach and they thought I was just doing kind of strength and agility, um, which, you know, looking back, uh, I may have been responsible for the miscommunication. So when, when you're when you're faced with any type of uh, adversity like that, and, and I don't mean adversity to be overly dramatic. It's a basketball clinic, and there weren't a few balls there. I mean, it wasn't right, the end right, of the world. Right. 
but it did throw a, a wrench into what I had planned to show the coaches. Um, but, but as, as teachers and coaches and educators know, you know, rule number one is it's not about me. It's about you. And that's when you're speaking to your player, to your student, to your class, to your team, to your audience. It's not about you. It's about them. So uh, what was most important was as much as I wanted to have those basketballs to deliver the stuff that I wanted to share, they weren't there. And as soon as that became fact, then you can whine about it and cry about it and blame people. And that does nothing. If anything, that just means the group that I was there to serve would suffer for that. So you just got to quickly move on and you adapt. And, and that's been one of the things that I've always really admired uh, about teachers and about coaches is they understand the value of preparation and preparing a lesson plan or a, a practice plan, but then they're also reflexive and adaptive and can change on the fly because you never know when something's going to change. I mean, you might have a lesson plan in your class and the fire drill goes, a fire alarm goes off. You know, uh, you may have the best game plan ever. And in the first two minutes, your star player picks up three fouls and now you can't execute the plan that you had. So uh, it, it's, it's kind of neat that, that you remember that and that some people have referenced that because I never thought twice about it uh, because it all has to be done in an act of service for the audience. And, and the moment that I realized that whining, complaining, belly aching, and pointing fingers would serve no one any value, then you just move on to the next play. And, and that's one of the basic principles that I live my life on is next play mentality, uh, which is part of, of living in the present moment. But uh, I, I didn't want to skip over your question. No, I want to dive into that, but I, I wanted to make sure that, that I brought that up. Yes. Um, and, and what's kind of neat too, is this reminds me of another story that Okay, obviously, I knew people were watching me. I was there on the court with a microphone strapped to my head to talk to <laughs> coaches. So I, it's not that those were unseen hours, but I didn't realize that that was going to have an impact on people, maybe even more so than the stuff I shared with them. And, and it reminds me, and this will kind of transition us into what you did ask about the unseen hours. Uh, I tell this story in the book as well. Um, and I actually met this gentleman in Iowa. So it's very appropriate as a, as a coach, a longtime coach named Dave Bullwinkle. Uh, and he was an extraordinary college coach. He's, he's currently a scout for the Chicago Bulls. Uh, he's just a brilliant guy. He, he knows basketball as well as anyone I've met, uh, has an eye for talent, uh, but he also has a very high emotional IQ and is great with team building and all of that stuff. And, and I first met him at one of the Iowa Snow Valley um, uh, camps and we, we became friends. And uh, a few years after I met him, uh, he was coming here to the DC area where I live and he was coming to watch the Georgetown Syracuse game, which at the time, both Georgetown and Syracuse each had three or four players that were projected first round picks. And as his duty with the bulls, it's, it's Dave's job to go uh, do some Intel and do some research and homework on all of these players to help advise the bulls on who the best player is to pick. And, Dave was coming into town and he sent me a message and said, would you like to go to the game? And, you know, I'm a basketball guy and going to see Georgetown Syracuse back in the days when they were actually in the big East. I was like, yeah, man, that would be amazing. And, and if I'm not mistaken, I think it was a two o'clock tip off. I may have the times a little bit off, but I think it was a two o'clock tip off. And he said, would you like to meet me, you know, in, in front of the arena at 11? And I was like, Dave, you know the games, it's at 2, it's not at 12, right? And he said, yeah, no, I know. We need to be there super early uh, because I need to watch the players when they don't think anyone is watching them. Oh. 
Oh, wow. And he said, you know, uh, I can watch film on these guys, and I have. Uh, I know that they're going to put their best foot forward during the game when everybody's watching, but I need to see how they prepare and what they do uh, in the hours leading up to the game, uh, during their shoot-around and doing their warm-up. You know, I want to see, are they taking that serious or are they goofing around? You know, are they are they taking game shots from game spots at game speed or are they throwing up half court, you know, hook shots and, and, and grab ass and around? You know, I want to see how do they how do they talk to their their managers and how do they talk to the building service staff? And and really, how do they behave when they don't think anyone else is watching when it is the unseen hours? And I remember we went. We were the only two people in the arena that didn't work there or play for Georgetown or Syracuse, and he would take page after page of notes observing these kids. And he ended up taking more notes before all of the game stuff started than he did once the game started. And, and I just remember, you know, again, I try to pull lessons from everything. Uh, one of the lessons is how you behave in the unseen hours is incredibly important. You know, that will dictate how successful you'll be uh, when the cameras are on and the cheerleaders start dancing. Uh, and then the other is there's not that many truly unseen hours that someone is always watching you. And, and especially in today's day and age with social media where you might be sitting in your bedroom goofing around on your phone and you post something that, that you think's rather innocuous – that could potentially be seen by a lot of people. So you have to be incredibly uh, judicious and careful with anything that you put out into the world, especially, you know, that it'll have a digital footprint. But um, really the unseen hours, what we do when no one else is watching, uh, to me, is the definition of our character and integrity, you know. Yeah. And, it, it, and even when there are people watching, you know, uh, like how you treat people that really can't do anything to help you speaks volumes about the type of person you are, you know, and, and as a, as a father, you know, I, I know that I can tell my children to be respectful, but what's more impactful and will be more influential is me treating other people with respect and they're watching my modeling. So, you know, when, when, when I'm speaking to a waiter at a restaurant, you know, to treat that person with, with dignity and, and politeness and so forth, uh, that's going to carry much more weight than me just telling my kids, hey, you need to be nice to people. You need to be respectful. So it's important to know that the unseen hours play a major role in, in our success and in our happiness, but there's also uh, a lot fewer, you know, a lot of those hours aren't as unseen as we may think they are. Yeah, that's true. And I think that, that that's a key point. I mean, I know there's all sorts of conversations, especially with, with, with players and, and students about the idea of the importance of social media and how everybody's always watching. But I think it really connects that idea of those unseen hours in that much bigger context. And I know there was a quote in your book that I absolutely love that I wrote down that I, I had never actually heard before that I think speaks volumes to the idea of unseen hours, which was from the, uh, the box of Joe Frazier that said, if you cheated in the dark of the morning, you're getting found out now under the bright lights. And it's, you know, it's, it's part of that, that daily grind and the things that, that you talk about all the time, having that good care character and doing what's right and, and sticking to the basics, as we heard in the story of Kobe, um, you know, at some point it's going to come to fruition, good or bad, based on all the decisions and the things that you're doing when you don't think people are looking and watching. Yeah. And that goes back to your original question, which is how do we get especially young people to buy into the fact that the basics 
are what need to be focused on. The basics are what need to be done during the unseen hours. And, and really, you just uh, brilliantly connected those dots there. We know that we live in an outcome-based society. We know that people want to know who won and who lost. Uh, how many points did you score? What grade did you get on the test? You know, what are your SATs? What college are you going to? What And, and, and the outcomes are what everybody talks about. And, and I'm not saying that that stuff's not important because I know that it is, uh, but the key is getting people to understand that if you want to greatly increase the chance of getting the desired outcome, that's where the basics come into play. That's where the unseen hours come into play. You know, if your goal is to get an A on a history test, well, that's going to be heavily determined by, you know, how much you study and the quality of your study during the unseen hours. And, and same thing, you know, you want to be the leading scorer on your basketball team. Well, you will increase the chance of that happening if you come in early before every practice and you stay late after every practice and you work on your moves and you work on your shot. So the, to me, the key is is connecting those dots and, and making sure that people understand that it is it's cause and effect. That the more purposeful practice you put into something, uh, the higher your skill level. And then when you when you apply that to whatever it is you're applying it to, whether it's a school test, uh, whether it's a basketball game, or whether it's a business proposal, then you increase the chance of getting that outcome that you want. Uh, so we're not going to change the fact that we live in an outcome-based society, and that's what most people value. But we can certainly educate and and model for them that the best way to get there is the basics during the unseen hours. Yeah, I love that. And I and I want to move the conversation to, I guess we'll kind of veer to the right, but I think it all builds into what we're talking about right here. Um, and in chapter 14 of your book, you, have, you, you cover the topic of communication, which is something that I've become super fascinated and intrigued by um, in a lot of the work that I've been doing lately. And really where I'm looking at it in terms of like what are our intended messages that we're communicating and what's the byproduct of the unintended message so you know I think about when I when I'm coaching youth sports I coaching my daughters and my son's team and I'm working with teachers and adults in the classroom or leadership stuff here are the things that I'm saying but what is the actual message that's being consumed and I just had a recent guest on on the show and and he mentioned as a as a teacher that it's 80 percent communication 20% content knowledge is really what it comes down to in, in teaching. Um, and so I guess to, to, to open this up to the question, and I'm going to keep it very broad and allow you to kind of take it anywhere you want to go with this. As we think about communication, whether we're thinking about communication between players or people working in teamwork or in business or as adults, um, you have a ton of experience. I mean, now you are you are communicating almost 24-7 now between podcasts and your speaking gigs and all things that you've got going on, but also when you were a performance coach, um, how important communication is. I mean, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of going all over here because it's, it's I'm not like a squirrel, so I apologize, but I remember there, there was a part <laughs> in your book that I thought was so fascinating about Coach K at Duke, and he talked about like the lack of communication is really an attitude problem, and I was like, I have never thought of it that way, and so I just thought that chapter was so profound. I think communication is, is the reason why so many problems exist in the first place is because we don't know how to communicate, so um, I'm just going to like, I guess, hand that big bucket of... <laughs> barfed up thoughts there that I just went all over the board. Um, can you talk a little bit about communication and the work that you do, things that you see and, and, and things that you think are really important as people are trying to figure out how to be better at it? Absolutely. We are always communicating. Even when we don't think we're communicating, we are communicating something. And and I'm not just talking about the nonverbals. I mean, at this point, most people understand, you know, that it's not just what you say 
but it's how you say it. It's your facial expressions. It's your body language, which clearly we don't have at the moment because we're doing an audio podcast, but you can tell by my tonality or the volume. Like there's, there's a lot of these indicators through spoken word that also convey a message, but I'm not just talking about that. I'm also talking about the unconscious messages that are sent through communication. A uh, perfect example. Uh, well, first of all, when it comes to communication, most people just think of it as the talking part. They, they think that is what communication is, is when you're speaking. And yeah, that's a portion of it. Uh, but they often forget that the arguably the most important part of communication is the listening part, which is what your listeners are doing right now, very, which I very much appreciate. But it's the listening part that is so vital um, in, in making sure that there aren't miscommunications. But when you listen to someone and you actively listen, you know, you give them your full attention in the present moment, you have positive body language and, and you're making great eye contact and, and, and you're, you're approaching them with warmth and you're listening, you're showing them that you care. Like unconsciously, you are showing them that they are important to you, that you value them, that you appreciate what they have to say. And that unconscious message, first of all, is the glue to any human connection. So whether it's parent to child or teacher to student or player to coach or any other combination of those, when you when you show someone that that what they're saying is important to you and you are actively listening, you are showing them that you care and caring matters. It matters a lot and caring is a choice and it's an act of will just as listening is. So when you are listening, you are communicating the message that you are important to me. Uh, think about some other scenarios that happen all the time, like uh, delegating is one. You know, if, if you're in a business or even, you know, uh, on a coaching staff and you delegate an important task to someone else, I'm not talking about something, you know, uh, trivial, like, Hey, I need you to go take out the trash. You, you give them an assignment that is important to the fabric of, of, you know, of the goals that they have, you are sending an unconscious message that I believe in you. I trust you. I know that you can do this as well as I could do it. And that's why I'm giving it to you. Again, that is a, that is something that will help forge a stronger connection. However, if we look on the other side of that and you think of uh, micromanaging someone, you know, where you're standing over their shoulder, either literally or figuratively, you're communicating a very different message. In fact, you're communicating the opposite. I don't trust you. I don't believe in you. In fact, I think you're such a moron that if I'm not standing here watching you, I don't think you'll do it correctly. And now you're starting to erode that connection. So uh, when it comes to human connection and communication, we're always either filling someone's bucket or we're draining someone's bucket. And we're doing those in these unconscious ways. And, and like I said, uh, the message I'm communicating to my own children when I'm being respectful to a waiter is that it's important to be respectful of others, that this is how you treat other human beings. And that's the message that I'm communicating to them just by modeling that behavior. And, you know, uh, as, as parents, any parents that are listening, uh, you know, my kids are still young. I've got eight year old twin sons and a six year old daughter. Uh, but I remember vividly, even when they were two, three and four years old, I mean, they were just sponges. They are watching and listening and, and mimicking everything that you do. So you are communicating so much to your children outside of what you were saying to them and in the ways that you demonstrate. And, and I believe that almost every single breakdown in an organization is due to uh, dysfunction in communication and, and usually lack of, of clarity or lack of effective 
communication. And that is that is a main problem. So uh, we just have to to realize that uh, what we say to others is only a small piece of the overall puzzle that we're sending messages and communicating things um, much, much bigger and more profound than what comes out of our mouth. Yeah, absolutely. And I think as you're as you're right, I wrote down down two words, uh, control and responsibility. And, you know, we're talking communication and we could fill that with any other important element of life. You know, we have the control to affect what it is in this case of, of what we communicate and say, like we have the power to be clear and concise and, and help move that needle forward. And we also have to accept the responsibility for the lack of communication or for the lack of communication or for the power of proper communication. And I think that becomes the hard part. A lot of people don't want that responsibility and they don't want to look in the mirror and be like, I actually have control over, you know, my decisions and my outcomes that I can have in my life. And I think, I think at the end of the day, for a lot of people, I think people are more fear, fearful of success than failure. And so therefore trying to do what we know is right, you know, and, um, which kind of leads into the idea of the performance gap. Here's what I know I need to do, but yet my actions aren't going to run parallel with that is we're almost afraid of if I put all my eggs in the basket and I work hard and I do all that I can and it doesn't work, then what? You know, I mean, so that, and I guess that's what I really like about your book is even though you break down these 15 different ideas, how much they're so interwoven and dependent upon one another, you know, and I, I do think communication is, is one of those foundation blocks that we all need to kind of self-assess ourselves and see how are we properly communicating with our family, with our friends, with our teams, with our, with our, you know, our colleagues that we work with and, you know, and everyone in between, because it's, it's easy to overlook because we talk and we text and we, we like and share things 24 seven, but are we really cognizant of what messages are we truly sending out? Yeah, and with low self-awareness, then the answer is no, we're not, and that's that would be a major, major problem. I mean, communication is in every aspect of our lives, and it really it doesn't matter if it's digital, if it's in person, if it's with your neighbor or with your child or with your player or with your boss. I mean, it, it, all of these are opportunities to work on our craft and to get in reps of effective communication, which means we have, as you just said, we have to be very responsible for the message that we're putting out there, both in spoken word and in these unconscious messages and, and, you know, with the nonverbals. But we also have to be incredibly open and work on the skill of active listening. Like you have to practice that. It's no different than wanting to get good at free throws. If you want to get good at free throws, you practice shooting free throws. If you want to get good at listening, you practice listening and you need to do so every chance that you get. And that's why, you know, I don't really believe we can compartmentalize our lives. I know people talk about the concept of work-life balance and I know what they mean by that. They basically mean don't spend all of your time and energy working because there's other things that are important in life. And I wholeheartedly agree with that. Uh, But I find it at least for me, challenging that that you can separate work and life because at our approximate age and, and the vast majority of people listening to this, you know, work, whatever you do, and hopefully you found something that you really enjoy and that you're really good at. But I mean, it, it's a major pillar in our lives and you can't really separate them. I mean, not as human beings, you can't. You know, maybe with this move towards artificial intelligence, some robots will be able to do that. But as human beings, anyone listening to this can tell you when things are going great at home, your performance at work increases and vice versa. If things are going awful at work, 
it's really hard not to take that baggage and those emotions home and take it out on the people closest to you. Uh, not consciously trying to do that. That's just the way that we work as human beings. So it's almost impossible to separate these different areas of our life. And, and I'm actually thankful for that because when I make the decision, which I made several years ago to become a better listener and really focus and practice the skill of active listening, it's helped me in every area of my life. It's helped me be a much more connected and attentive father. It's made me a better speaker. It's made me better as a coach. It's made me better in every area of my life. So I'm thankful that the investment I made to work on my skill of active listening didn't only serve me in one little small compartment of my life. It served me in everything. And, you know, the book was written for people that want to improve their performance in a specific area. You want to become a better manager. You want to become a better whatever. But I really do believe that if you take the concepts from the book, you can apply them to every area of your life. You'll be a better spouse. You'll be a better parent. You'll be a better friend. You'll be a better brother or sister. You'll be a better at your work. Like, so that's kind of the neat part that if we're going to invest in the unseen hours into working on these skill sets, they transcend and they're versatile. They, they, you can apply them to anything that you want to do. Yeah. I, and you're, you're spot on. I'm, I know we're, we're going through this through audio lens, but I'm over here nodding my head like nonstop um, going, absolutely, because those were some of my, my biggest takeaways from all the work that you've been doing. And now, especially as you've been able to weave it all in into uh, an, an, a really an outstanding book that I thoroughly enjoyed. I actually have my sixth grade daughter reading it right now, and then it's going to go to my son next. And, oh, that's um, awesome. you know, it's, it's, it's so, so good. Um, I want to come full circle because I know we have just a couple more minutes because your schedule is crazy busy. Um, and I want to bring it back to you with one kind of final question before we get a chance to share out where, where people can find you and all your work. But um, I've, I've, I've followed your work for, for several years, and this is truly an honor to, to speak with you and, and have these conversations. And um, one of the things that, that I have been able to take most from you is, is you model what you preach. You, you live and breathe all the work that you do, and you've found a way to infuse your passion and things that you're excited about um, and make that a job and a career. And it's, it's awesome to watch you be that lifelong learner and continue to challenge yourself as you've moved through, you know, from Pure Sweat and your podcast and um, now this book and moving into the business world. And so the, the, the final question I have for you, because I think it's important for, for people to kind of think about themselves, is how have you developed? developed your inner drive to excel. So I think it's easy to read stories about Kobe Bryant or the Michael Jordans or whoever it is that people want to want to kind of glue to in the that, that we consider celebrities um, and go, well, that's Michael Jordan. That's not me. You know, and so how have you been able to develop that inner drive to excel? Because I really think this is a, a question that more of us need to ask ourselves um, to kind of figure out how are we going to achieve our goals and dreams. I'm going to answer that, but I'm also going to pepper in some other stuff that I hope puts everything in context. Okay. Uh, first, the the drive for me, um, I was given some amazing advice when I was really, really young, and it's the advice that I give all young people now, and, and I still give it to, I mean, quote unquote, older people who haven't uh, achieved this yet, but it's find what you love to do, find what you're pretty good at, and then find where those two things intersect. And wherever those two things intersect, that's your strength zone. That's, that's where you're going to be the happiest and most fulfilled, but that's also where you give yourself the best chance uh, to be successful and significant. And, you know, I, I realized over time that basketball was merely my platform. It was merely a vehicle because it was something that I was passionate about. Uh, but, but I'm a coach at heart, and I believe coaches, real coaches, 
are also teachers. I mean, we're, we're educators, you know, where, where someone might be teaching, you know, American history, a coach is teaching how to do proper footwork, but, but more than that, they're not, that's just what they teach. They're really about human connection and they're about empowering others and they're about filling buckets. And, and that's kind of where I see myself, um, as, as hopefully someone that can, use my candle to light someone else's candle. And uh, basketball was just the vehicle at which I did that for 20 years. And, and now it's more through speaking and writing in the corporate setting. Um, but, but finding that alignment is one of the major motivators that drives me because I really, really enjoy it. And it, it makes me feel good. Knowing that I can share something that adds value to someone's life, I mean, that, that warms my heart. And, and I, that drives me unbelievably. But where things have changed for me, and, and I've got a long list of these things, is through age and hopefully some newfound wisdom and maturity and growth, you know, my perspective on a lot of things have changed. You know, one of which, um, I, was, I was very ego-driven, especially early in my career. It, it was about accolades and it was about, you know, having certain opportunities and working with certain players. And, and I felt that would validate my self-worth. So I was very driven to succeed because I needed to feed my ego. And now as I'm, I'm older and this really, the, the light switch really happened when I had kids and I'm like, okay, I'm not that important anymore because my kids are what's most important. Like it ain't about me. It's definitely about them. Right. And that's when things really shifted from, for me being very ego centered to, to aiming to be a, a servant of others, to be a servant leader and to approach servanthood and think, you know, that what's most important is being able to fill other people's buckets. And that's what motivates me and drives me now. You know, uh, I mean, please know how, how incredibly appreciated and well-received, you know, your support and your compliments are. When you say things like you've been following me for a couple years and you were looking forward to this conversation, that used to feed my ego. Now it doesn't. Now it makes me even more inspired to keep doing this type of work because someone like you, who I really value and respect, is appreciating it. And that makes me feel good. And that, that shift from ego to servanthood, uh, is, is really the, the main driver for me now. And, uh, you know, that's something someone could have looked me in the eye and told me in my twenties and early thirties. And I'm sure plenty of people did, but I wasn't listening at that point, primarily because of my ego. Mm. Uh, so some of these things, they just take time to unfold and materialize. And because I'm so focused on the present moment, you know, I could easily uh, beat myself up over a lot of the, the, the mindsets and, and perspectives that I had when I was younger that did not serve me and think, man, I wish I could have changed that, man, I should have changed that, but I can't, it's over. So I, I don't, you know, I, I, I'm not embarrassed or regretful of the fact that I had a large ego early in my career because there's nothing I can do to change it. And, you know, it, it's the difference between living in the perfect world and the practical world. I'm just happy now that in my early 40s, I have that different perspective. And, you know, there's, there's a few other things uh, that I put on that list. You know, and one thing that I've learned, because I hear people say the phrase all the time, you know, that, that you can't, that people can't change. And that's not true. It, it's the way that I look at it is you can't change other people. You can model behavior, you can support, you can encourage, you can hold accountable, but you cannot change other people. However, you absolutely 
can change yourself. And, and I know that because I've made many changes in my life. So I'm, I'm living proof that you can change yourself. But, you know, for any of these things I'm about to share, like, I, I can't make you do these things, Aaron. I can't change you. You'll change these things when you're ready. So, you know, in addition to kind of the ego versus servanthood, there's just a couple of more that I want to share because I, I want to always make sure that I have the humility and transparency to share my entire journey because there's lots of people uh, like yourself that, that may have been following me on social. And, and let's be honest, most people only put the good stuff on social. I mean, <laughs> right, I, yeah, yep. <laughs> I put, the, and I'm one of them. I mean, yeah. I do it out of cert. I don't do it to hide anything. I do it because when I make a post, I'm doing it to add value to your life. And if I have a crappy day and I'm in a crappy, uh, mindset and I, I'm, I have a crappy attitude, me posting something about that will not add value to your life. So I don't post it. But it's important to know that I, I do have crappy days and I get in crappy moods and, you know, because I'm human just like everyone listening to this. But there's a few that I just, if you don't mind, would love to share now Absolutely. Go for that, it. That, I've, that I've kind of changed. And, and ego versus servanthood is one of them. Uh, one of them, too, in my, my younger days. Uh, and when I say younger days, I'm not just talking about the teenage, Alan. I mean, some of these things were issues with me three, four, five years ago. And uh, I'm by no means anywhere close too unfallible at present, but all of the things I'm going to share with you now, I might not be world-class in them, but I'm better than I was before. And I know that if you and I uh, reunite and we do this podcast again a year from today, I can promise you that I'll be better at them then as well, because I'm a, I'm a constant work in progress. I'm constantly under construction, but I have the awareness now to know that these are things I need to work on. Uh, one of them, and I know a lot of people fall into this trap, is I used to always play the comparison game. I was always comparing what I had or what I didn't have or what I was accomplishing or what I wasn't accomplishing with everybody else. And uh, I want to warn folks about playing the comparison game because it's a game that you cannot win. And if you use outside metrics and external uh, metrics to validate your own self-worth, you're never going to be happy and you're never going to be fulfilled. You know, uh, I can walk, I'm in my, my uh, home office here right outside of Washington, D.C., and I could walk outside right now and within five minutes, I can find someone that's taller than I am, that has more muscles than I do, that has better teeth, that has better hair, that's more handsome, that's more funny, has a hotter girlfriend, has a nicer car, has a bigger house, makes more money, gets on bigger stages, has more social, I mean, you see where this is going. Absolutely. It can go out of control. Yeah. And if I use any of those things, to determine my own self-worth, then I will always lose. So instead of comparing myself to others, I, I simply am, am thankful and grateful for the things that I do have, and I'm very conscious about working hard to earn other things that I would like to have in my life. And, and when I say things, they're very rarely material things anymore. The, these, are, these are different things. Like, yes, I would love to have a larger social following so that I can impact more people with the things that I think are important. But I don't play the numbers game. I, I don't care how many followers I have or if someone has more than I do. That means nothing to me anymore. What matters is that I'm, I'm spreading the message that I believe is important. So not playing the comparison game is vital, uh, especially to happiness and fulfillment. And that's really what social media is designed to do is to make us play the comparison game, you know? So you just posted pictures of where you went on vacation and now I feel bad because you went on a nicer vacation than I did. And that, that happens all the time. So I've just removed myself from the game. I don't play it anymore. Mm. Another one, there's, there's 
couple more that I'll share is I used to be an avid scorekeeper. And, and I will say this is one of the most liberating changes that I've made in my life is no longer keeping score. And when I say keeping score, I'm talking about in relationships. And it didn't matter if it was a personal relationship or a professional relationship. I had the awful habit of always keeping track of what I was bringing to the table and what the other person was bringing to the table. And because I also had an ego at the time, I was often under the impression that I was bringing more to this friendship or to this, this marriage or to this business partnership. I was bringing more than the other person was. And then I would let them know that. And that would be a major, major problem. In fact, you know, as I look back on my life, there has not been one single time, not one single time that me keeping score in a relationship has ever added value or, or served a positive purpose. It always ended negatively. And occasionally now I catch myself reverting back to habits, uh, bad habits, and, and I can catch myself and, and, and make the tweaks necessary and, and almost laugh at it. And the reason it was a problem was, first of all, keeping score and, and feeling like you're bringing more to the table than someone else is a very arrogant, self-righteous, almost narcissistic way to approach it because ultimately it builds resentment and it ends up with this mentality of, you know, uh, Hey Aaron, you and I are business partners. I've brought in the last three clients. Like you need to get your stuff together and start pulling your weight. And that's, that's not how relationships work. And it also would come down to, especially in personal relationships, almost the unconscious talk about unconscious messages. Like you owe me, Hey, I've and. I've taken out the trash the last three times. Not only is it your turn, but you owe me. You need to do something for me because I did this for us. And I mean, it's, it's crazy as I verbalize this now consciously and intellectually. I mean, I was such a buffoon. Like, why would I, (laughs) why would I even think that this would be something that would add to a relationship? But that's the problem. It wasn't on a conscious level. You know, I'm not a dummy. I, I didn't even realize that I was doing these things. So it was never a matter of me on a conscious level thinking that someone owed me or thinking that I was doing more than they were. That never crossed my mind. This was all in the unconscious and how I was treating them. And uh, the last couple I'll leave you with, you know, I used to be an awful grudge holder. You know, if, if you wronged me in any way, shape or form, I had, a, I had an elephant's memory. I was never going to forget that. And I would hang that over your head or I would just put you on a blacklist and we'd be done forever. And that, that doesn't serve any purpose, you know, right now I, I, I realize too, that, that most people that wrong you in any capacity, one, it's either unintentional or two, it's cause they're dealing with some stuff in their life and wrong. You could be uh, anything from someone cheated on you to, they cut you off in traffic. I mean, look how many people get angered when someone cuts them off in traffic, right. like they let it ruin the rest of their day. <laughs> I'm like, that's just foolish. Why am I going to ruin my night? Because you drive like an idiot. Like that doesn't, that doesn't serve me any purpose. So I just smile and wave and just keep on trucking because it, it's not going to serve any purpose. So uh, not holding grudges has, has been uh, a big one. And, you know, when I look at going back and, and changing from a mindset of having an ego to being a servant, to stop playing the comparison game, to stop keeping score in relationships and to stop holding grudges, uh, kind of like uh, Elsa sang in Frozen, you know, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. <laughs> I, I tell you what, I am, I'm so much happier and, and lighter. And I would like to believe 
I'm a better friend. I'm a better parent. I'm a better business colleague. I'm, I'm, I'm better in all these different areas with these mindsets. And as I said before, and, and, you know, I'm so cognizant of these things now that I have the awareness that I will find myself reverting back to those occasionally, but now I have the awareness to nip them in the bud, to kind of laugh them off and, and think to myself, Hey, we're not going back down that path again. Let's, let's move on. So, uh, these things still play a role in my life, but before they were all so unconscious that I had no idea I was doing them. And now through some, some rather newfound self-awareness, I realized them and, and I'm, I'm hoping I'm working towards becoming a better man because of them. I love it. And I just, um, I can't thank you enough for your honesty and, and opening up that way. And I think as you speak, anybody listening is reflecting on their own lives, whether they have similar things that they're trying to work on as you or other areas of their life. And I think, you know, um, we kind of go back to the beginning here as we, as we talk about not just your book, but all the work that you do in general to help people um, through your servant leadership is that. And I think it's, you know, as, as I read the book and we talked about it earlier, this is really about, about life. You know, the, you, yes, you have stories that um, connect to, to basketball or performance. And, and yes, the book, book is here to help in businesses and whatever your careers are. But they, they these are really concepts that um that that interweave not just our professional lives but our personal lives and i think as you're talking the big thing that i that i jotted down as you were talking was i think it's important that we take time to to pause and reflect who am i how am i doing on this journey to get better and where do i need to continue to work and i think that's where a lot of people are are, are missing the boat i think they might be maybe aware of some of the things they need to improve on, but they're not taking the time to, to just reflect and process, you know, what am I doing today to become, you know, if we look at like James Clear work, I know you're a fan of his work, you know, how do we become that, that 1% better than where we were the day before, um, you know, because those incremental changes are, are, are so monumental in the long run. They absolutely are. And I'll even add to that, in addition to kind of doing the inner work and the introspective and, and reflecting is, Give yourself some grace and some compassion. You know, most people, not just high performers and type A people, but most people are usually their own biggest critic. And, you know, I always say just try to offer yourself the same grace and compassion that you'd offer a loved one or a friend. You know, if, if, if you and I were really good friends, Aaron, and, and you made a boneheaded decision and made a mistake, yes, I would hold you accountable because I care about you. But I'd also put my arm around you and say, man, it's it's okay. You messed up and you're going to learn from this and you're going to move on. And I find people don't often do that to themselves, which is why I can sit here and say with a smile that for over three decades, I had some really dysfunctional, uh, poor behaviors and, and, and ways of seeing the world. I mean, that's been most of my life. But I'm not going to beat myself up over it. That was part of my journey. That's that's who I was. You know, I, I'd like to believe that even through those times of having a big ego and keeping score and, and, and holding grudges, I'd still like to believe in my heart that I was a good person and, and tried to do things the right way. I was just severely misled. And, and now that I've, you know, used that use the cliche, seen the light and I see how much better it is on the other side. It just doesn't serve me any purpose to live in that past and beat myself up over it. I identified some things that needed improvement. I've learned some lessons, and I'm really focused on on not making those mistakes again. And if and when I do, which is inevitable, I'll give myself some grace and compassion and just move to the next play. 
I love it. And I think, you know, that's a, a, a great point to maybe wrap this conversation on. I mean, I could, I could literally talk to you all day long, but um, I know you've got a lot on your plate and I, I'm so gracious that you took a few extra minutes to, to share all that with us. Um, it, it's so good, so powerful. And I've just got so many notes. I can't even wait to go back myself and, and re-listen as I go to edit and, and continue to figure out how I can improve as a, a parent, a coach and a father and everything else. And so I'm going to put the link to the show notes to your book that, that I think everybody should check out. Um, I, I, I can't promote it enough, The Raise Your Game by, by Alan Stein uh, Jr. And these 15 concepts are, are, are so phenomenal. But Alan, for anybody else that wants to reach out, learn more about you, um, figure out you know how to get in contact and, and follow your journey if they're not already doing so, where can they go to um, you know take the next step to continue to learn from you as they try to figure out how to become better in their own lives? Well, if they're interested in the book, they can go to raiseyourgamebook.com. Uh, if they're interested in some of the other things I've got cooking, you can go to allensteinjr.com. And I'm at allensteinjr on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, all the major social platforms. Uh, and I love not only sharing, but I really love engaging and having uh, communication, one of our themes, uh, with folks on social. So uh, anyone that's been listening to this, if, if something strikes a chord or resonates, uh, if you just want to say hello or you want to talk about something more in depth, please, by all means, shoot me a, a note on social. Would love to generate some dialogue. And, you know, once once this thing is aired on your platforms, you know, I'll certainly share it. Uh, but then I'd love to be able to, to repurpose it and, and share it for months on end to my platform just so we get this word out because uh, you really did a masterful job uh, facilitating and leading this conversation. Uh, I know I'm never short on words and I can talk for a long, long time. So I appreciate you doing such an amazing job with it, Aaron. Thank you. Oh, I thank you. It's, it's truly an honor to uh, speak to someone such as yourself. And I just appreciate all the work that you do, all the sharing that you do and, and all the work that you do to try to help everybody become better. So um, thank you so much for this uh, amazing hour of conversation and uh, thought. Thanks.